Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast, the brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcus Molitsis. I'm here with Carrie Eleveld. And today we're going to be talking about the November election. It is... <laughs> Unfortunately, the reality of our modern times that every election is the most important election of our lifetime. And yes, 2020 was the most more important election. But now this is the most important election because our very democracy and our rights are on the line. And the difference between victory and picking up a few seats in the Senate and defeat and, and losing the, you know, either chamber of Congress is monumental. All of the main battleground races this year, at least for the Senate, are being fought in 2020 and 2024 battleground states. So conventional wisdom says that the party in the White House loses seats in Congress. And in fact, if you look at the average over the last uh, no, 60, 70 years, the in-party of the incumbent president in his first term of office loses over 30 seats in the House. So by all means, we should be looking at the, at, the, at the climate and looking at Joe Biden's approval ratings and thinking, yeah, okay, <laughs> Democrats are going to get their butts whooped this November. And that's, but, what all, that's what mainstream media is doing, by and large. I think, that, yeah. in fact, I think they're just starting to clue in, but go ahead. You're on, you're on a path and I'm with you. Yeah. So I think, I think I forgot the path I was in. Oh, no. The point, being, no. the point being, there are anomalies. So in 2002, in the post 9-11 zeitgeist, George Bush and his Republican Party won seats in Congress. They bucked that trend. So there are situations where the climate is so anomalous to what is normality that politics are completely scrambled. And Carrie, I absolutely believe that this is one of those years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, we, we are seeing, we, I, I think mainstream media is starting to catch on that this might not go exactly. I mean, look, this is going to be a slog. I don't want anyone to believe it's not no. going to be a slog. Yeah. There's, and, and there's probably no home run hit for Democrats, but there may be, there may be, you know, it may be salvageable is basically what we're looking at. Okay. So, um, but, you know, after the election, I think, I think the, the, the moment when mainstream media was like, oh, was when last Tuesday, Pennsylvania Republicans elevated state Senator Doug Mastriano, who's a total radical as their gubernatorial nominee. And he is just off the charts. I mean, he's a Christian nationalist. He's called Pennsylvania, quote unquote, our promised land. He uh, opposes abortion uh, with no exceptions. He wants a total abortion ban. He said, he said recently uh, in my, you know, I, I want to get it down to where it's right at contraception. He's a 2020 election denier who was at the Capitol on January 6th and said that he didn't breach the barricades, but there's actually video evidence of him breaching the barricades. 
walking past them, going into the Capitol, it seems. So, you know, he is just, he is so far right. And Senate Republicans immediately, because they know that he's going to be crisscrossing in Pennsylvania. And whoever wins that Senate Republican primary, which still isn't decided, which is a, frankly a disaster for them in its own right. It's yeah, still Mastriano not decided. is the governor. He's, he's so the governor. Yeah, he'll be at the You're top right. of the ticket. Right. He's going to be at the top of the ticket and he's going to be running a statewide race for obvious reasons. Right. And then the the two Senate candidates on the Republican side who are duking it out to win that primary are uh, TV huckster Dr. Mehmet Oz and hedge fund CEO, former hedge fund CEO David McCormick. Right. And they're they're within 0.1 percent of each other at this very moment. Right. It's it's less than a thousand votes that separates them. And, you know, it's going to drag on for a while. They're they, they have to in order to they're, avoid. Yeah, a they're recount. in court. They're in court yeah, over they're in, even they're in court. which ballots they can count. Yeah. Mail-in ballots. McCormick suddenly Here wants mail-in ballots counted. Here we go. <laughs> you know, all those fraudulent mail-in ballots oh, that the Republicans in Pennsylvania have skewered. McCormick wants them counted. Oz doesn't. And they're, you know, and and they and one of them has to get 0.5% or he has to clear more than 0.5% of of the um of the vote in order to uh win outright. Otherwise they're going to recount. So by the time they come out of recount, right? One of them will win and they will win. That person will win with less than a third of the GOP primary vote. They're both at like 31 percent right now. The really MAGA candidate who actually didn't have Trump's endorsement because Oz got Trump's endorsement because he's a fellow TV Mm -hmm. huckster. The really MAGA, like far right radical in the Senate race uh, was a woman named Kathy Barnett. And she uh, she got something like 24 percent of the vote. So whoever comes out of that race is going to have two things to contend with. They're only going to have won a third of the GOP primary voters. And they're going to have to. And, and while while John Fetterman, who is now the Democratic Senate nominee and current lieutenant governor of uh, Pennsylvania with a lot of name recognition, he won 60 per, nearly 60 percent of the Democratic primary vote, right? I mean, Democrats were really coalesced behind him, whereas the Republicans are very fractured in terms of, you know, their support for whichever Senate candidate. But then on the other thing, the other thing they're going to have to contend with is Mastriano is going to be crisscrossing the state saying just crazy things over and over and over again. And I just know reporters. I know myself. I know I know what it's like to cover, you know, candidates and campaigns. And those reporters, every time Mastriano says something just loony, are going to run straight back to whoever the Senate Republican is running and say, hey, what do you think about blah, blah, blah? Should there be a total abortion ban with no exceptions? Is, you know, is Pennsylvania the promised land? Is, you know, I mean, all of these things. Right. So it is just he's dragged them down this far right rabbit hole. And that MAGA candidate also said that she's not going to endorse either of the whoever the Republican nominee is because they're both globalists. I think is what (laughs) she said. And they're globalists. And yeah. so you have 20, you know, her 25% of the vote and not all of them will sit it out. We only need, this is Pennsylvania. We only need one or 2% of her votes to sit it out and you start chipping away. So to, to kind of create a sort of overall structure to the, to the episode, two 
factors you know are at play here. One is abortion. Abortion is going to be a big issue in pretty much every race that matters this year, uh, particularly since Republicans seem weirdly emboldened to be as as extreme about it as possible. They're not even pretending like Mastriano's not even pretending to have exceptions for rape insist. Let me make it. Let me make the life of the mother. One, one, right. One caveat is that it's Republicans in the states who are extremely emboldened, yeah. right? The f- Republicans at yeah. the federal level are like, oh my God, hands off. We're just going to let the states decide. We don't want a yeah, so, total ban. Yeah, blah, blah, we'll blah. talk about that. We'll talk about that. Yeah. So hold that thought okay. because I, I don't want to, that's not a, that's not a, a ass in the side. That's actually a key point that we should really kind of yeah. hone in on. Uh, the other piece is quality of candidate. So these are factors that, that I sort of, you know, think play a role. So abortion is going to be a big one. The quality of candidates is going to be, be a big one. Even Trump, Trump's already big footing in this race saying, you know, they shouldn't count those absentee or those mail-in ballots, a uh, certain category of mail-in ballots, right? So he's big footing it in. And the reason the incumbent party does poorly is because it becomes a referendum on the president, right? The, you know, and the president can never deliver what he promises. Impossible because our system is not designed to allow legislation to pass, right? All you need is one Joe Manchin and everything crashes and burns. But if Donald Trump's floating around, then it becomes not a referendum on Joe Biden. It's like, do you, who do you prefer, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? So you have that factor. Then you have factors that don't help Democrats, Joe Biden's popularity, the state of the economy, particularly inflation and the price of, of gas. And, you know, the, the sort of, logistical chain issues, but things like baby formula, right? These are, these are going to be exacerbated in a time of global war and conflict. And that's not even including any of the sort of climate catastrophes. We are bound to have floods, hurricanes, fires, um, drought, and, and the conflicts that those issues cause. COVID, COVID's not going anywhere, right? This is the most tumultuous campaign season that I can even remember. Yeah. I can't think of anything more jumbled up and chaotic than now. So let's let's talk about abortion. Can I? Because, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Can I just add to that thought, which is I heard someone say this the other day, and I was like, that is exactly what I think I'm seeing, which is Jonathan Alter was on a podcast. He's a kind of a famous journalist. And he said, I think based on the fact that we're starting, you know, MAGA Republicans are already like ready to get to the polls and exact revenge for what they think was a stolen election, right? They're, they're, depending on the state, you know, most of them are not going to be dissuaded, right? It's always possible that you know, in somewhere like Georgia, where Brian Kemp seems po- poised to prevail and uh, Trump's candidate, uh, Senator, former Senator David Perdue, is going to probably lose, that it could turn off some MAGA voters. But most of them want to get to the polls. But then you have this abortion issue, it, which is no small issue. And is already we're seeing some enthusiasm gaps type tightening between Republicans and Democrats. Um, that this could be less of a t- midterm type election and more of a general election where both sides are fueled to get out. And it's a matter of 
how, like how many people you're managing to turn out, right? The wave elections of midterms usually happen because one side is fueled to get out and the other one's like, nah, I don't know. It's not exactly great, but you know, it's my people and I'll just let them do what they are going to do. And yeah, to be very clear, it's not persuasion. People are not persuaded to the other right. party. The wave election is one party stays home. Right. So yeah. I so I so I think I, I I think that that's what we could be looking at here is is a mishmash where there are where yeah I don't think there's going to be one you know on election night there's going to be one narrative supposedly I don't think there's going to be one narrative I think it's going to be a mix of wins and losses um, fueled by two sides that are completely opposed to what the vision they have for the country and want to get to the polls. And um, I I just don't think that this is going to look anything like a normal midterm in general. No, absolutely not. You're right. Sorry. And so abortion is sort of a critical issue because it speaks to losing our rights and it speaks to a out of control Supreme court. And I think there's this sort of underlying, um, dynamic that that I haven't seen a lot of people that I haven't seen nobody else discuss it other than, you know, us, is that one of the reasons that the out party is so motivated is because they're the out party, right? They're motivated by revenge, right? So in 2018, you know, the resistance was motivated to punish Republicans because Donald Trump was president, right? We were so motivated and absolutely, you know, crushed the Republicans in 2018. Um, right now, Republicans are pissed that Joe Biden is president. The election was stolen, like you were saying. So that sort of it's a motivating factor. You know, they're freaking out about mask mandates still and the freedom, freedom convoy. And we can laugh at that stuff. But these are things that have Jews, maybe not in the real world, but in their online world, it it revs them up. It it gives them purpose and it gives Fox News hosts and talk radio, the Ben Shapiro's of, of the right wing, gives them the juice that they need to really amp up their followers. Right. So typically what happens like in 2010 with 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 Obama, when Democrats got crushed is that the party in power, there's, there's a, there's complacency. Oh, we won. Like we got the white house. We're good. There is frustration. Obama promised X, Y, Z, and he hasn't delivered anything. It took him 14 months to even get the affordable care act. And there's no public option, right? There's all these complaints about how it just wasn't good enough. So you have those factors and that sort of depresses the, the majority party's popular base depresses that vote. We're not in the majority Carrie, and I think abortion is showing that because of the system that we live in, we could we we want a, a overwhelmingly won the Senate popular vote and the House popular vote, but because of gerrymandering and because a Senate that is undemocratic, where California gets two you know two senators and all the Dakota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Wyoming, which have a population of a San Francisco you know metro area essentially, they have what eight or ten senators. It's not a democratic institution. Layer on top of that, the filibuster. And it's clear that that Democrats, as in sort of the liberal base, is not in the majority. Then you look at the Supreme Court and, you know, you had seats stolen and and they are they are unfortunately not even the only um, horrific decision that they've issued just in fact, just uh, I think it was today or yesterday, they issued a decision that said that that even if a death row inmate has new evidence of uh, of innocence, that he or she has no right to a new hearing because that would offend the state and all the work that they did in, in, in convicting that person. I, I tell you that, the, you know, 
this this court is poised to do so much harm. And I feel like with the abortion ruling, the draft ruling that we've seen that pretty much in, seems to ensure that they're going to gut Roe v. Wade, right, um, mm-hmm. and overturn a guaranteed right to an abortion. Uh, I think it was sort of the end of an era of about 50, 50 to 60 years of constitutional law from the Supreme Court, in which the Supreme Court mainly used the um, mainly used the Constitution to add more guarantees for people, to add more rights for people, to um, you know expand the union as it were, to include more people. And I feel like this is the beginning of a totally new era that will be known as the Roberts Court, you know, and it will it 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 rings in a decades long period unless we expand the court or do some sort of court reform in which they will use the right wing Supreme Court majority with six justices on it will use the Constitution to uh, cut people out of rights. Right. Um, And so I think people that there was something about the issue of abortion because it's been there for 50 years, because it came into being around the time of when, you know, it was actually a little later. I mean, this, the real, the, when, when the court really started doing that was in the 1960s during the civil right era, when they really started expanding um, this, this expansionary period of 50, 60 years. Um, But, but Roe v. Wade came into being around that time. And there's something about overturning this landmark decision that's been considered by most people to be settled law for 50 years that really gives people an understanding of what this court is capable of and the fact that anything that we considered precedent is now on the chopping block. Right. Uh, and that's so, key. Yeah. How can we be in the majority when it's not just right. abortion that's on the chopping block, but it's marriage equality, it's access to contraceptives, it's the ability to have interracial marriage, all those rights. And <clears throat> we had a guest last week. We had a state senator from uh, from Washington State who talked about how immediately she was going door to door. And when the draft decision was leaked, people immediately shifted to wanting to talk about the Supreme Court. And they got that, which surprised me. I thought it'd be, uh, yeah, you know, abortion. Clearly, that's that's horrific enough. But people instinctively understand that if a court is going to gut that what they consider to be basic standard settled law, if that was on the chopping block, then everything is on the chopping block. Right. And so that creates a sense of, of, of panic and frustration and anger that has that potential to get people to the polls that otherwise would not have gone to the polls. It, the other thing she said was that it was, you know, people related it back to a health care issue. So even if she started asking them, what are you concerned about? And they started talking about the issue of health care. At some point they would go, Oh, right. And you know what? I'm also worried about this Supreme Court decision because, you know, I might not have access to being able to make my own health care decisions and whatever. And I saw Nancy Pelosi, I think, early t- earlier today, um, you know, House Democratic House Speaker talked about how abortion is a quote unquote kitchen kitchen table issue. OK, so that is Democratic speak for saying, you know, all those kitchen table issues that we always talk about as being pocketbook issues and whatever. Abortion is now a kitchen table issue. And I think that's a signal that 
that they're going to start turning loose uh, House Democrats to talk about this more in terms of it being a kitchen table issue rather than it being a social issue that should sort of be out of bounds for uh, candidates. As we've discussed before, Senate Democrats have been very out front on this. Um, the White House has been, I gave them a C, maybe I should have given them a B minus, but House Democrats have been kind of, the House Democratic leadership, I think, um, has had a little bit of a clamp on how much uh, their their candidates should go after this issue. I think they're getting ready to go after it. Yeah, let's, you know, we have an ad that that's queued up for that Pennsylvania for, governor's race. Yeah, right. For that Josh, Mastriano. right. So this is an ad that wasn't done by so so the Democratic candidate in in Pennsylvania running for governor is current Attorney General Josh Shapiro, and um, this isn't an ad that he actually put together that his campaign actually put together, but it's the product of a six million dollar effort by a uh, group of Democratic. Uh, organizations, including Planned Parenthood, including uh, the Democratic Governors Association and several others who are putting together not only an ad campaign, but also digital and a voter mobilization effort. Um, Six million dollars dropped into Pennsylvania to make an issue specifically of abortion. So this is sort of their opening salvo on this is how on making a story for Pennsylvania voters about this radical Doug Mastriano. For 50 years, women have had the right to make their own healthcare decisions, the freedom to control their own bodies. But now the Supreme Court wants to set women's rights back a half century. My body, my choice is ridiculous nonsense. As governor, Doug Mastriano would make all abortions illegal, criminalizing doctors, forcing pregnancies, even for victims of rape and incest. I don't give away for exceptions either. Doug Mastriano, taking Pennsylvania backwards. Yeah, we talked to um, we, we, we spoke uh, two weeks ago. We've been on the abortion beat for a couple of weeks now. We, two weeks ago, we spoke to um, uh, Christina Reynolds, Christina Reynolds of, of uh, Emily's List. And we talked about the one hundred fifty million dollar campaign that they're running with NARAL and with uh, Planned Parenthood Action Fund to center abortion rights in November's election. And that's what it looks like. And Carrie, I think that's powerful. I think that's super powerful. I mean, there's a few things in there. I mean, Doug Mastriano saying, uh, you know, what is it? My, my body, my, I'm, I keep my body. My choice is nonsense. My body, my choice, my body, my choice is just ridiculous nonsense. Him saying that is just, I think so over the top, the idea that like somehow, you know, men wouldn't have, wouldn't be able to make, decisions over their own body for some reason they wouldn't be able they wouldn't be able to get viagra if they wanted. yeah take away their viagra and watch them i mean then we're talking about revolution right that's (laughs) fighting words so um but you know this is just it's so outside of the norm in fact when you when you poll questions about abortion, you know, there's somewhere around 60, 65% for Roe v. Wade as a status quo for codifying in, in that into law, somewhere between 60 and 70%. But if you ask the question, something more along the lines of should women be able to make their own medical decisions about their body um, and uh, abortion with their doctor, that polls at like 80 something percent. And another thing is, the idea of there was an NBC poll out just a couple of weeks ago that showed that Doug Mastriano's position of no exceptions 
poll is it has five percent support <clears throat> in the nation. So five, he's got it. Not he's he's got the five percent support <clears throat> group. So there is a, a sort of radical Republican core in the states that are like so excited about this decision. D.C. Republicans were not excited about this decision to the point where they spent the first two weeks wailing about the leak, <laughs> the, the horror of the leak. Right. Because they didn't want to sit there and talk about what the actual substance was. And it, it, it's striking how how the Mitch McConnell's in Washington don't want to deal with the issue. And in and, and having Mastriano won that race and having this issue be centered in Pennsylvania is their worst nightmare, I think. Absolutely. And and they, you know, the day after um, that primary last week, there were a handful, CNN talked to like a handful of uh, Republican senators and they were all saying, well, number one, you know, I think the real issue is going to be inflation. Um, and th- so you have to remember, just let me clarify, they don't know who their Senate candidate is yet, right? Because it's this McCormick-Oz thing going on. We're still waiting for that outcome. But what they do know is, is that their Senate candidate, whoever ends up being, is going to have to end up playing in the same state that Mastriano's running around in, right? Wreaking havoc. And so they were trying to, number one, say that inflation was clearly going to be the bigger issue, et cetera, et cetera. And then the other thing they were saying was, oh, I don't think that, you know, that's going to play in the Senate. I don't think that abortion is an issue that's going to play in the Senate race because it's really going to be a state issue. So in other words, are they saying that people are going to like go and vote maybe for Josh Shapiro, the Democratic candidate at the top of the ticket, but then vote for the Republican Senate candidate? I mean, I, I think and Republicans have they they're talking about a federal ban on abortion. So you can't even hide and say it's only in the states because they can't help themselves. They, they, they can't they have, help themselves. And and so it, it is. And I, I think it's clear to me that that ad isn't designed to change people's minds. Right. I mean, I think oh. abortion is an issue that that is settled. Nobody's minds are changing on that. Uh, it hasn't in decades. What it's designed to do is tell Democrats that otherwise might be sitting out this election that this is on the chopping block. Right. It's it, on the chopping block in the state. Right. And it matters because this is a national battle. It's basically like, hello, siren, siren, siren. Yes. This is crazy shit. And he's out there. And if you don't get to the yeah. polls, this is what you're going to end up with. I mean, that's what it, it is. And the one thing it does is it expands abortion out to be a rollback on women's rights because it really came into being at the advent of sort of the women's revolution movement, the women's rights movement in the 70s. So it, it does expand out abortion to be sort of a, you know, a precursor to a bigger rolling back of women's rights more more broadly. Yeah. And, and, and it's it's going to be and I think it's sort of tied into the quality of Republican candidates, which is sort of the next topic I want us to to discuss. And and obviously Mastriano is 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 comic book villain like he is. <laughs> you saw that ad. But down in Georgia, we have a similarly <laughs> terrible Republican candidate in in uh, Herschel Walker. And we may have we'll find out who's coming out of Ohio. But Ohio really should not be a state that's on the map. But depending on the candidate, we it may be peripherally competitive. And again, I think the abortion issue is going to be a big factor in that. There are a lot of people who go ahead. We do know in Ohio, J.D. Vance is the is the Ohio. Okay, Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. J.D. Vance. It's hard to like keep track these rolling primaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but J.D. Vance is the Ohio guy. 
And he's a Trumper. Right. He's, he's a MAGA, Trump, extreme. So we have an opening and, and it matters. Can it, even in wave elections, you may think it doesn't matter, but in, in this sort of case where there's going to be so much focus on these individual races, and like Herschel Walker. And, and Herschel Walker, he, he is, it's funny because we have another ad to, to talk about because Republicans, given who their nominee is, are, are, they don't know how to proceed. And you want to explain why? I think it's actually really yeah. funny. I mean, number one, like Republicans. So the last like six years, the last three cycles, Republicans have done ads that have been all like racism scare ads. Right. They've all been like MS6, MS, MS13. MS, is that what it is? MS13. MS13. The caravans are coming. I mean, really ugly ads, really, really ugly, racist, anti-immigrant, anti-black ads across the country. And this is this is their been their bread and butter, particularly during the Trump era. And and all of a sudden they've got a black candidate in Herschel Walker running against another black candidate uh, who is uh, Senator Raphael Raphael Warnock. Warnock. Right. And he's a reverend with a really inspiring story. He 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 is, you know, has been minister at Ebenezer Baptist Church, which is totally historic and famous for having been the church where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, used to used to preach. And, you know, he's just a good guy who has an inspiring story. And then you've got sort of a train wreck. Herschel Walker, he's a formal, former Georgia football star, but he also has a real history of, you know, being angry, of having literally self-admitted murderous impulses, driving around with a gun to like thinking he might shoot a guy who didn't deliver a car to him on time. He talks about that in his own autobiography. He admits that he's struggled with um, some sort of personality disorder where, you know, it's multiple personalities. I don't know. There's a separate diagnosis for that now, but that's, you get the gist. And he lived in so, Texas. He, he lived in Texas yeah. and Donald Trump pulled him out because he thought, well, black man, we got to get our own. We well, got to get our own. We'll bring him back to Georgia. Right. So so he he is I mean, yes, he's famous there because he was such a standout football player, but he's got a lot of problems. I don't I you know, I personally may have liked watching him play football. I wouldn't want him to be my senator. In any case, what you've got is a real mismatch there. And let me just say one other thing before we cue this. Raphael Warnock did a masterful job in 2020 in the runoff cluing voters into the fact that they were going to try to paint him like an angry black man, that Republicans were going to go after the angry black man angle. And he had this, a lot of people probably remember it. There was a pooch. It's not actually his pooch, but whatever. It was a really cute cute pooch, uh, a dog in his ads. And one of the first ones was sort of a spoof on, you know, a scary attack ad where the narrator says things like, Raphael Warnock used to eat pizza with a fork and knife. Raphael Warnock once stepped on a crack in the sidewalk, you know, and then it's like Raphael Warnock even hates puppies. Um, So then he comes on and says, get ready, Georgia. There's going to be a lot, you know, they're going to sling a lot of mud at me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. he's got the dog. They're going to sling a lot of mud at me. And then at the end, he says, and by the way, 
I love puppies, right? And then there was <laughs> then he, he he had that puppy on in in future ads where once they started slinging the mud, he said, "I told you they were going to start doing this." So he what he did was he let voters know what the GOP trick was. And the GOP trick, you have to remember, this is what this Michigan state senator from uh, um, the state senator from Michigan did the other like a month ago when she gave that like fiery speech on the floor where she said, we're not going to let hate win. Right. And it went viral. She and, and Senator Warnock both let people in on the trick, which is that the GOP was going to, you know, jingle, jingle, jingle their keys about social issues. They were going to fear monger and they were going to distract from the fact that they haven't fixed those potholes. They're growing the deficit. You know, they haven't they don't they haven't don't have any solutions for health care and it keeps getting more expensive. You know, I mean, those type of things like it's just a distraction <clears throat> to get people into these social issues. And so anyway, here's the that's the lead in to this is what I just want to be clear. This is the Senate Republic. Yeah. State Senator Mallory McMurrow of Michigan. Thank you. That's our producer, Walter. That's who, who gave that speech. But in any case, this is a an ad from the Senate Republican campaign arm. And they are it's their opening salvo in trying to t- tell a story about Senator Warnock. The problem is, is that he's got a much more inspiring story in many ways than and he's, you know, just by and large, a much more likable character than Herschel Walker. So they have to admit that in the first five (laughs) seconds of this ad before they try quite badly to talk about policy because they're really out of practice when they have to talk about policy. Okay, let's see if we can get this on air for you guys. Raphael Warnock, his personal story, inspirational. His story as a senator is the problem. Warnock votes with Joe Biden 95% of the time. What does that mean? Warnock backs an energy tax that would push gas prices and utility bills even higher and restrictions on U.S. production that would make us more dependent on foreign suppliers. Raphael Warnock, on the issues he's wrong for Georgia. NRSC is responsible for the content of this advertising. Restrictions on foreign oil production? More more dependent on foreign oil production. Whoa. I mean, that is, you know what? When you when you ask people what their biggest issues, <laughs> that's always like one, two, or it's three. It's the restrictions on, I, I want to know what your 10-point plan is on restrictions <laughs> on foreign oil production. I mean, that is just, I, there's so many things to say <laughs> about that ad. I mean, really, they're just out of their depth. They're, they they might get better at this at some point. Why, it's their, why did they need to concede that his story was inspirational? I don't even understand that part. They, could, they couldn't. I mean, here's the thing. They can't do, here's, here's what I came down to when I was writing about this ad. You can't do, this is a scary, angry black man when you're, candidate is a black man who has issues with anger right <laughs> it's like no. they, so so it just completely robs them the fact that i think the fact they the don't want to open that can of worms they don't want to no, open that up no they do not and so they 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 kind of have to admit they're i think what they realize this what this tells me several things number one his Raphael warnock's personal biography and favorite like likability must pull through the roof. And so they decided, all right, he's so likable, we're not going to be able to go after him on that. So let's just di- dismiss that in the first 5 seconds we're going to concede that he's <clears throat> likable and then we're going to go after him on policy. And 
their policy is weak. I mean, the one thing that maybe sticks is he he would his policies would push gas gas prices even higher. But here's another thing. They say he 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 votes with Joe Biden 95 percent of the time. Right now, Joe Biden's favorables are in the tanker. We all know that. Yeah. And this what is one of it. This is a legitimate liability on a Democratic side. It's a legitimate year. liability. The interesting thing is they didn't spend a lot of time on it. So that also made me think, you know, Joe Biden's approvals are low, but is he can he be painted as a villain? That's an excellent observation. Do you no, think and he seriously, can be as Obama, a people, people were furious at Obama. Right. And obviously, Republicans were able to use his fact that he had a funny name, Muslim sounding name, and he was black in order to sort of gin up that personal attacks. The most right. they got with Joe Biden is, oh, he's sleepy and sometimes he doesn't know where he is. Right. He's feeble. Now, they, you you know, may laugh yeah. at that. You know, you may think you may chuckle at that, but it doesn't generate feelings of revulsion and loathing. And I will do I will walk across broken glass. Right. To get in the way of that feeble. And you're right. That should have been the whole ad. It should have been. been. You would have thought you would have thought the whole ad. Right. Right. If he's pulling as poorly as we all think he is, and I'm sure he is. Why not focus on the guy whose approval rating is like 35% in Georgia? I mean, that, right. that would have been, but they exactly. didn't. And, and so I think this is actually not a, this is a great segue to that next issue is, is, is Republicans and the issues that they're going to run on, right? If you all recall, there was no Republican platform in 2020. Um, Trump didn't want issues. Like they, they, their whole campaign was fixated on culture war issues cancel culture and, and MS-13 gang members that are brown and scary looking and the hunter and caravan. And, and um, Mitch McConnell said, no, we're not going to do a contract for America type of situation. And, and the House Republicans weren't going to do that anyway. And can I imagine them trying to agree on something? That would have been funny. So they don't, you know, they talk about, you know, we're going to fix healthcare. You ask them, well, what are you going to do? And there's, there's, there's nothing. I mean, there is literally nothing. There is no policy. And then Rick Scott, who runs the Republican effort in the Senate to get Senate selected, uh, Republicans selected to the Senate, comes up with a plan and freaked out all the Republicans because that plan included things like raising taxes on almost everybody that's not a millionaire or a billionaire, uh, getting rid of, of the, you know, the social net. Medicare, yeah. Medicaid, Social Security, undermining those. Right. Like these were, he Sunset. literally put them on paper. The yep. things we all know they believe and that we say, you know, Republicans, they want to get rid of abortion and they want to like, you know, they only care about, about rich people. And people are like, no, they're not that bad. You're exaggerating. Well, no, it, no. it's on paper. They, yeah, but, it's there. Yeah. And, and what, what's interesting about it is it's funny because we had this blip of Donald Trump who kind of said, oh, no, I'm not going to cut your Social Security. And I actually think he meant it like he was this, you know, kind of, uh, you know, in that sense, mavericky candidate because he didn't do all the traditional. We for years and years, we knew that Republicans, that establishment Republican wanted to cut the social safety net and they wanted to cut taxes for rich people. And that's what they were doing. Right. And Donald Trump actually as a candidate kind of took a little bit of that. We're going to cut the social safety net off the table. Now they didn't take you know, the room. healing yeah. healthcare. Yeah. How can but, read the room? 
Right. Trump can read the room. Exactly. So he, you know, he, yeah. And he was willing to lie. He was willing to say anything, but he never went after Social Security. And so now we're what, what Rick Scott did was like, oh, yeah, forget about all that. We're going to go back. We're going. Let's get back to the basics here. And the basics are we're going to cut taxes for rich people. We're going to tax the hell out of poor people. And we're going to and 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 we're going to take away the social safety net that they've been dying to do that for decades decades and rick scott was like yep we're back at it now and and mitch mcconnell everybody else they're not angry on the merits of that policy they're angry that he actually said it out loud and it's really interesting because joe biden had a press conference where he refuted it point by point mm-hmm. and rick scott's response wasn't to actually have a policy debate rick scott's response was to accuse joe biden of being senile and you know he doesn't know where he's Incoherent. at and he was, and- He's unwell, you know, he should resign like that. He, that was it was such a, per, you know, Rick Scott has been Rick Scott put out that plan in February. He has been trying to clean it up for months. He's had multiple spots on Fox News where they're, they're like, you're not really going to tax. You're not really going to increase taxes for working Americans, are you? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just talking about putting people back to work so that there will be income tax and payroll tax and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, I mean, first of all, isn't that what Joe Biden's doing? Putting back, uh, rec- back record work. low unemployment. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Record low so, unemployment. Yeah. So I don't know. Scott, th- Rick Scott thinks he's got a better plan. But also his plan didn't say anything about we've got to put people back to work. <laughs> so right. to tax them. He's just like, we're going to tax people who don't make enough money. He said something about millions of Americans uh, don't pay into taxes. Right. You know, don't pay taxes right now. And it very much suggested that what he was talking about was, you know, 100 million Americans who don't make enough money to pay federal taxes right now. We need to tax them so that they, quote unquote, have skin in the game is what is in that plan. There wasn't anything about we've got to get people back to work so that they can be eligible for taxes. That's not what he was talking about. Anyway, he's been trying to clean that up. To be clear, they pay taxes. They pay sales tax. They pay property tax, whether if they own or they rent or paying those taxes. Uh, there is a, a whole we as humans are taxed. <laughs> there is a lot of yeah. places that are that are taking taking a cut. And so this idea that that they don't have skin in the game. Is is patently ludicrous. And the, and the, and the, the way they, they're thinking, this is rich people, rich Republican way of thinking is that if they actually had to pay taxes then they would elect more Republicans to lower those taxes. And that's, I think, the where they're trying to go with it. But clumsily, I know if you're the party of lower taxes and family values and strong national security, you know, then you shouldn't really be playing footsies with Putin and Russia. You shouldn't be raising taxes and you shouldn't be worshiping at the altar of Donald Trump, who is the most morally bankrupt human being this country has at this time. That's the core. But that's where they are. So this has given Democrats who always want to talk issues to, to the detriment of the party. We don't know how to play the game, the culture war game. Now, Republicans have given us abortion in a very stark way that that's easy to explain. And so we can engage it, in a culture war on our fact, turf. I, I would say it, it doesn't need explanation. I mean, it's such a well-known yeah. issue that you don't have to explain. No, absolutely. Um, to the point, like we said earlier, where people even understand that it's not even just about abortion, but it's about gay rights and interracial marriage and access to contraception and any right that didn't exist at the beginning of the nation's founding. When it really the only people who had rights were white males who owned property. 
So they, um, definitely there. But now we have issues too. Republicans want to raise your taxes and there's an actual plan. And so it really, really jumbles the equation, right? So they got ter- Republicans have terrible candidates. We don't feel like we're in the majority. We feel like we're under siege because progressivism is under siege and our rights are under siege by a Supreme Court and a Senate that doesn't reflect the popular uh, will. And they're putting up these these just joker candidates. So I think these are advantages that we have. Now, disadvantages, Kerry, how much will Joe Biden really drag down the ticket? We sort of mentioned he doesn't generate the 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 loathing that Barack Obama or Donald Trump or George Bush, you know, most most presidents are pretty, pretty polarizing. Yeah. People may not be happy with Joe Biden. But is he really generating that loathing? I, I don't think so. And I think I it sh- I think it showed in that I, we're going to see if they try to if they that was, the, you know, that was put together by the Senate Republican campaign arm. Right. So that's not just one candidate's assessment of what will work. That's the and Senate Republicans. Campaign, right. Millions polling. Millions. Polling. This is what they came up with. Absolutely. They they this is what they came up with. And and I really was surprised that they didn't spend more time on Joe Biden. And then it clicked for me. It's like, God, it it was actually a a reader comment that said something of something about it. And I clicked for me and I thought, oh, my gosh, he he isn't you know, you can't totally vilify him. Let me just add that there's a flip side to that. One of the reasons it's hard to vilify him is because he's not super fiery. And this is a moment when we would we I think we would we could benefit from having someone who a president who's a little bit more fiery, who wanted to pick a fight with Republicans over some of these policy issues where they're so way out, who uh, a, a president who when this Supreme Court ruling comes out, gives a huge speech and says, you know, this conservative Supreme Court is just radical and, you know, wildly out of step with the American people. And we got to take our country back, you know, that type of thing. I don't think I'm, I'm not sure we're going to be able to get that because I just don't know that Biden has that in him. It makes him hard to vilify for the right. Um, the the but it does seem to me that the White House and this is on the plus side, right? I, I'm t- I, you you were kind of broad strokes, and I'm getting a little granular. It does seem to me that Republican that the sorry that the White House understands that there's a real problem here. I've seen a lot of reporting on them, you know, understanding that they have a midterm enthusiasm problem, understanding, and so Biden has taken some steps. Number one, when he gave that speech about the 11 point plan, Rick Scott's 11 point plans to, quote unquote, rescue America by raising taxes on everybody and sunsetting Medicare and and Social Security. Um, He when Biden gave that speech, he was giving voters voters a choice. He was painting a choice between here's what Republicans would do and here's what I'm doing. That is part of making this a choice and not a referendum election. He's also started using the term and I'm sure you guys have heard it. You're all plugged in. MAGA Republicans, right? Um, and sometimes ultra MAGA Republicans. I think it's worthwhile to have um, the movement, the Trump movement, Trumpism, um, be painted at a, as a broader movement that goes beyond Trump. Because what we are seeing is that in many cases, the Trump movement is actually bigger than Trump himself. And Trump himself is sometimes actually chasing the Trump movement and not necessarily leading it. 
Um, and uh, the other thing we're seeing is that he's he is the Biden White House seems to be making moves potentially to reach out to the base. I mean, he obviously nominated, uh, you know, a black female Supreme Court justice like he said he would. Um, that's a huge win and a and, you know, absolutely nece- necessary representation on the court. Um, but he they, it seems that he's going to do something on student debt relief. I don't know how big it is. I can't tell. I think there's why. Still sort of, why are we still waiting on that? Oh I don't know, but I do God. think it's coming. I do think it's coming. And if it comes in the summer, if it comes, it, hopefully they will not wait until August because it's you know the the um, <sighs> loan payments are set to go back in uh, September first. So hopefully he'll. So hopefully they'll do something soon. And but whatever that is, that is going to be. Um, I think it will at least. I, I think, and I don't have any inside information, will at least be $10,000 forgiveness. Now, they may means test it. They may give some people more than that. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do. It's it's clear to me that they're arguing over the policy now. Whatever that do, Whatever that is, whatever that amount is, there are going to be at least millions of Americans, no matter which figure he picks, that will benefit from that, where their lives could be substantially better um, and more affordable and futures could open up for them that weren't possible before. So this is a lot of people are like, oh, we shouldn't do this. Okay, I've got a million reasons why we should do this. And I think it's completely a justice issue, but it is good politics. And you know what? We need good politics right now. If this were Republicans, they would not hesitate for a second. If they thought this was going to win them election, they would do it in a heartbeat and not, you know, not do any apologies. So here's I'm just painted a picture of what I'm seeing, which is we may not have a fighter, but I do think we have a Democratic president who understands there's a problem and is working to try and. Uh, you know, make gains, um, engage youth voters, uh, give voters a choice. And I think we're going to need to elevate some other, hopefully, we're going to need to try to elevate, and I see some elevation happening of other spokespeople, um, like in the Senate, Senate Democrats, who can, who can be a little bit more on the fighter side of things. It's not perfect. This is not perfect. Um, None of this is perfect. And and youth turnout is actually one of the the categories. One of the items I have in in the O'Shea category, Um, because it's already a difficult demographic to turn out and vote. And they were excited after after Biden won. And that would have been the time like right away. Boom. Executive order. If it was going to be ten thousand dollars, okay, make it ten thousand dollars at that time. Instead, by dragging it out, his numbers amongst young voters are woeful. When you look at that thirty-five percent approval rating, it is driven in large part by abysmal ratings amongst young Democrats. Because Biden, you know, he promised this. This is this isn't something that he fought against. You know, he was no Elizabeth Warren. We know that, but he did say he was gonna he was gonna do uh, some student debt relief. So now there's a point where if he does it in the next couple of months, it'll be more like freaking finally, as opposed to like, yeah, like I'm glad I voted. I, it, I paid off. Now I will caveat this by saying a lot of us really pay attention to this. And I think $10,000 was estimated to affect maybe 40 million Americans, I think was the number. I don't 
I have it in front of me. It was something like that, like 40 million. How many of those 40 million Americans are actually paying attention closely? Like, you know, maybe, maybe a few million of those, you know, so maybe the vast bulk of it will be like, whoa, I didn't know this was happening. Awesome. So, so I may be overstating the, the frustration around the issue. But I do think that when you look at the polling, it's clear that young voters are not happy right now. And we cannot win November without getting those people, you know, getting those voters uh, engaged. And, and abortion, I bet you will be a big part of that. I have no doubt abortion will help with youth vote. It would be nice if we didn't have the student debt issue dragging that down, though. I, I think we're going to get something. You know, there's numbers and I, gosh, I can't quote them off the top of my head, but there are definitely numbers on this. Um, and it is uh, numbers that w- where it shows exactly. Let me just see if I can pull it up really quick. Um, maybe you can chat for a second, but where you can see where you know exactly. I'm just going to do a little research right here on the, uh, but you can see exactly like. <laughs> we need how, to put up a commercial here, break right here. now. No, 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 no. Yeah, okay. right. Here, we need, we need commercial break. Oh, okay. These are Warren's numbers, Senator Warren's numbers. Um, $10,000 zeroes out balances for 32% of borrowers. And that would be 13 million people in total. So that's not nothing. It's not nothing. Um, 20, if you get, if you get up to 50,000 and this is why she pushes it, it, it zeroes out balances for 76% of borrowers. I can't say it, Um, but that's 30 million in total. Um, So, you know, that's why she's, but you go up the line, you know, if he does, it's, if, if it's $10,000, it's thir- it, if it, it zeroes out for 13 million. If it's 20,000, it zeroes out for 20 million. Um, so, and then if it's 50,000, it zeroes out for 30 million. But even so, 10,000 for the 50,000, you're still wiping out 20% of their debt. Yeah, overnight. right. Exactly. It, that's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, it's meaningful. It's going to be meaningful for a lot of people. Um, and some of it's for some people, it will be incredibly meaningful. It will, if it zeroes out of balance and they were paying like, you know, they were paying on $16,000 or, you know, or something like that, that they, they couldn't even, you know, a lot of people didn't get their degrees. They can't afford um, this monthly payment and it will just, it will open up their lives. Um, so I do think that we could get something out of this. Yeah. So the last issue, um, we're, we're actually running out of time. The last issue that I think is, is problematic, obviously, is inflation. And right. And Republicans really do think they, they can make inflation the issue, as you pointed out. You know, Mitch McConnell's like they don't want to talk about abortion. They want to talk about inflation. And even that ad that um, Herschel Walker ad talked about rising gas prices. Right. And, and there was a very wise co-worker here at Daily Coast who said, that gas prices were the only economic indicator that the average person sees in two foot letters everywhere they go. And it's very true. Like $6 gas, like, Oh my God. And, and so there's a, there's a emotional punch that you can say, well, wages that are an all time high and you can say, uh, uh, unemployment's at an all time low. And you can, and I think Democrats have been absolutely to the point of malpractice, haven't made an issue out of the, price gouging by corporate America, in particularly the, the oil companies. There should have been legislation that basically would have, would have impounded um, their excessive profits. Because it's all, everybody's using this as an excuse to raise their prices. They don't need to be as high as they are in most cases. So 
that's something that that I actually think corporate America, a lot of them are are conservative leaning. They may even be doing it on purpose, right? I mean, if they see a, a political value in getting people angry at higher prices and they make profit, I mean, it's a win win for a lot of these people. Yeah, and- I think it, I think it's all profit. <laughs> I'm less I'm less I'm less inclined to believe the conspiracy of of we're going to also ruin Joe Biden in the process. But I do think I think it's just all profit. I mean, so, yeah. And and uh, and it's funny now because, you know, retail is kind of falling off the cliff. Stock market is diving because people aren't buying stuff. And then corporate America is like, why aren't people buying stuff? (laughs) We know why they're because you're price gouging. You might be price gouging. That's 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 what's going on. But you also have supply lines, global supply lines that are still borked because of COVID. I mean, you've had China literally doing entire lockdowns of, of, of cities, including Beijing, looks to be um, happening here now. Uh, that messes with with the global supply chain that comes out of China. Then you got uh, war, which is messing with food issues food. around the world, which it's going to have ripple effects everywhere, including this country. Uh, including rising prices. And so you have all this turmoil and this economic chaos. And and it's, for whatever reason, and I, I can almost see the reason, it's been hard to tell a story like this is the most dramatic economic uh, increase in, you know, one of the most e- dramatic in American history is the rise in inflation is a byproduct of the fact that everybody's making more money and everybody's employed, right? That Those are factors that, that play into just economics 101. But Republicans are really going to zero in on gas prices. Uh, look at those. Yeah. Look at that six dollar a gallon gas gas price, and and it, they may actually it may work. And in fact, the the state senator we talked to last week, she said that's what that's what people were talking about until the abortion issue hit. Right. They were talking about inflation, and then that got scrambled because of abortion. Now Republicans will hope hope that that abortion issue sort of wanes that that sort of people like once the shock of it wears off, that they'll go back to worrying about the six dollar. I'm just telling you, the shock of that is not going to wear off. I'm just I'm guaranteeing you that I don't guarantee much. I probably shouldn't even jinx it, but I guarantee you the shock (laughs) won't wear off. And the reason the reason that is not going to happen is because immediately all of these Republican states are going to implement some sort of criminalization, criminalization of abortion. Um, And it's going to there are going to be shocking headlines nationwide. And it is going to it is going to scare and anger voters across the country. So that's going to be the election pretty much, though. It's going to be Republicans saying, look at the gas prices, and which you just saw, right, in that Herschel Walker ad. Right. Uh, weirdly, though, I, I mean, you could say that more elegantly than foreign p- gas production <laughs> We're going to be dependent on foreign oil. Uh, I mean, I what, what was that? I, I still, that, that ad was hilariously bad. But um, that's going to be that's going to be their campaign. They're going to wor- work on refining and honing that message. And presumably by the time October rolls around, they will have gotten that in a tighter, uh, more potent, punchier uh, message. And then we're going to be talking about the rights that everybody's losing and and abortion just being the start of everybody that we care about and love about being targeted. And and uh, that's the election. And, and it's a different election. This is no longer notice. It's not like, what do you think about Joe Biden? That's not the election. It's not even Donald. What do you think about Donald Trump versus Joe Biden? I think there's going to be that factor. It's pretty meaty. There's real issues for us to rally around. That isn't just fear mongering about Donald Trump. 
Yeah. And one thing I would add is I've been watching the generic ballot. I don't think we're, you know, we're too early to know decisively, but the generic ballot had been um, either favoring Republicans or, you know, pretty much equal. Sorry. Yeah, the generic ballot is is people are asked, would you vote for Republican or Democrat in your House race today? Right. And and without names, just a generic House Democrat, generic House Republican, right? So it had been uh, pretty much even. Um, and and then this NPR poll came out and showed, which I, I was suspicious of, but it showed a huge swing from like, I don't know, Republicans having a several point advantage to Democrats having a several point advantage. I'm not giving specifics because I don't want to be, I know that's true and I just don't know the exact numbers. Um, but it was a big swing. And I thought, wow, that's a big swing in like a couple months, right? Even with the abortion issue added in. But the abortion issue is clearly di- the difference, right? But the civics, I've been looking at civics and their generic ballot, the, that's our sister organization does polling. The generic ballot there is um, uh, ha- have seen some positive shift in terms of it for, yes. for Democrats in the last. And it had been very even for months and months and months. It might flip back and forth by one point or whatever. But, but it, was, I, it was essentially tied. Yeah, with the net. It was essentially tied for months and months. And, and I have keep in mind, because of gerrymandering, because of gerrymandering, a tied national popular vote means we would lose like 20 seats. Right. That's sort of the but, reality. That's what gerrymandering does. But the gerrymander is going to be different this year. It's not it going to be. We're going to have a we're going to have a map that isn't quite as gerrymandered as it was in 2010. But we Isn't still that- need to win the generic popular vote by around six points to 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 win control of the House. That's sort of the reality. Yeah. And we're trending in that direction, too. but we're still not quite there yet. So it's still tough. We're all going to have to work hard and we're all going to have to pretty much really fight like our rights are on the line because they are right. They are literally, unless the only thing you care about are, you know, owning a, you know, an assault weapon to go, you know, shoot things. You're fine. You know, you're fine. Nobody else is. I tell you, I, I, I have decided, and I said this in a um, previous episode where I got choked up and cried and I'm going to try to avoid that here. But anyway, um, I said that, you know, for a while we were like, oh, Trump's a blip. We just got to get him out of office. We just got to, you know, um, gosh, this is really distracting. I hate this Trump dude. And what's going on with the Republican Party? I just want to get back to life as usual, blah, blah, blah. This is life as usual now. This every cycle matters is life as usual now. And I really believe that this now, saving our democracy is the work of our lifetime to gift to hopefully the next generations below us, right? And uh, we've got to do other things too. We've got to save the planet and whatever, but we can't save the planet without saving the democracy. Um, And so, you know, my new normal is not, God, we just have to get through the next cycle and then everything's going to be okay. My new normal is this is the work. This is the work. And And conservatives thought that way. 50 years of fighting to to get rid of Roe v. Wade. They never thought... It's the next cycle. They, they always th- looked at this as a long-term battle and it worked for them because we let our guard down. We can't do that anymore. That is our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks to the entire Brief team, Walter, Kara, Carolyn, Dorothy, and Paul for all the work you guys do behind the scenes. Thank you, the viewer and the listener for joining us and being fellow travelers in this battle for our democracy. 
So glad you're with us. Wouldn't want to be with anybody else. Got to leave it all on the road. This is the fight. And we're down to just a few months. <laughs> it's coming. November is oh, coming. It'll be here faster than we realize. So thank you so much for joining us. Catch you all next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.